as far as anyone knows, is a mostly Latino history podcast where each week your hosts, Minerva Angeles and Fredo B, take turns sharing some Latino history, bad jokes, and ancestral love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of As Far As Anyone Knows. I am Minerva Angeles. And I'm Fredo B. And we're here to tell you some stories. Today, I'm really excited to share with you an amazing woman who uh, happens to be of Asian descent. So I'm excited to share with you, uh, you know, in solidarity, everything that's going on right now. I wanted to just remind Latinos that there are Asian Latinos. And today we will talk about Chinese Nicaraguan Arlen Su. Before we do that, Fredo, do you have anything you want to talk about? You know, I guess in the spirit of Women's History Month, I you know, I just want to talk about and appreciate... Uh, two giant women in the music industry right now and really talk about Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's do it. You know, I just appreciate them. I'm mostly Cardi B I'm bringing up because she's been getting a lot of flack on the internet over her um WAP performance at the Grammys. Which um, is an art like thought, it was an art installation. It was a, it was amazing. It was uh, you know, I don't I think People take it too seriously. At this point, she's performing camp. It's it's high camp at this point, what she's doing, where it's like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. She knows that she's being provocative in a way that really gets to people, um, the right wing, like Candace Owens and people of that nature. At this point, she's doing it to fuck with people, right? Um, so to me, I, I I don't understand the vitriol that she gets. Um, she's been nothing but genuine about herself, about who she's been in the past, who she is now, as a woman of color, an entertainer, a mother, um, and the fact the ver- she's been very candid about the fact that she is not your child's parent, and you need to parent your child. And if you don't want your child to listen to WAP. Then don't listen. Don't have them listen to WAP. Yeah, I also don't understand like the general conservative um, like mind frame that it's Cardi B and whoever, whatever woman they're mad at today's responsibility to like um, create in the interest of that person's family. I, ma'am, <laughs> we don't even know you. I, you know. <laughs> It's like, who is this music for? Oh, yeah, I wrote WAP for my five-year-old because I love her and I just want her to feel empowered. Like, what the fuck? Obviously, that's not for... When she grows up, yeah, you know, it'll be... uh... (laughs) Yes, but what I'm saying is, like, it's very obviously not for children and just people, like... What like people saying? What am I supposed to tell my kids? Is the craziest thing to me because I'm just like, <laughs> what are you supposed? What are you going to tell your kids? Like, what? Why would you be putting your kids near this on purpose? If they happened upon it, they could they could walk in on you uh, getting getting some wop. <laughs> what are you going to tell them? That's your responsibility. You're the parent. Figure it out. 
What is the what is Cardi B's responsibility? I mean, I suppose like if you're listening, I guess I, I suppose if you're listening to the radio, you know, it comes on, you're like, oh my, you know, clutch pearls. But but I, even I guess, the radio edit, you know, again, there's so much edited there that it's it's you know, kids of a certain age aren't going to know what it means, and the kids that already know what it means. Honey, that means you should have been having this conversation <laughs> with this child. Yeah, yeah. And this conversation now is going to be a little different. And, you know, we just want to make sure we clearly understand the nuance in this song and that we are, you know, moving forward uh, with consent, with education, with empowerment of our bodies. That That's where you take that conversation. I'm not doing this. This is not a parent- parenting podcast. <laughs> you, Minerva Angeles is also not responsible for parenting your children. Yeah. So if you are listening to this podcast and you think I shouldn't be dropping F-bombs, you need to go find your Latino history somewhere else, homie. <laughs> I don't I just cannot. Yeah. Listen, uh and though I hope that, you know, high school, middle school people are listening to us because you know, you're learning some gems. Yes, we curse. Sorry. So sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the history teachers who try to assign this to you know. Listen, at but, one point we'll we'll get a Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I could pay for um uh, Ed episodes where we've paid someone to bleep Ed, out the curses. Edit out all or the curses. we can edit out the curses. We can do that for you. But um, it's going to cost you because yeah. nothing is free. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Free, free um, Minerva and Fredo has curse roots. <laughs> <laughs> but back to uh, Cardi B and Megan the Stallion. Um, I, I think it, 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 we really need to step off our high horses and, and really just appreciate... The fact that these two women, black women, and, you know, I got into, not really an argument, but, like, I had to put somebody in their place, again, on the internet, because it's only Twitter fingers, um, where somebody uh, said that Cardi B is not a black woman. Uh, Here we go. And I'm just like, no, Cardi B is a black woman. But whatever, we're not going to get it. That's not a discussion today, but I I just wanted to put that on the side. People be confused. Yeah. People be real. I mean, and it's a confusing topic, but not. But not when you look at Cardi B. You know, like, it can be a confusing topic when you look at someone and they're ethnically ambiguous or you're just like, you know, have never met someone from a particular place, maybe. But when you look at Cardi B, we're not having this conversation. We're not, no, no, like, I'm not. It's like, it, it, when you look at her, you just look at her and you're like, that is clearly a black woman. Let's let's move on. <laughs> yeah. It, and the thing is that... It, Listen, I don't want to go into this rabbit hole because it's, it's a real deep rabbit hole. But the comment, and I've seen comments like that, mostly from black people, black women, other black women who say that Cardi B is not a black woman. Um, There's a lot to, to unpack there. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm the most qualified person to talk about it as I am not a black woman. Yeah. Um, For those of you who are wondering what i look like i'm not a black woman <laughs> um but i you know it cardi's on the night black she you look at her i'm like okay that's a black woman but regardless i say that to again where we should be celebrating these women as you know the fact that they're they're really progressive they're pioneering a, a different era of rap music whether or not that's your type of rap music you know that's neither here nor there but they're selling records. They're sell, you know. They're they're winning awards, you know. Um, 
so you, I think people just need to get used to the fact that they're here. <laughs> it's not that people need to get used to anything. Or just accept. No, it's they don't. They, what they have to accept is their own racism and bigotry and misogyny that lives in them that has a problem with their existence. Yeah. The problem is that they have a problem with their existence because there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't like in this world. You know what I do? Not participate in that thing I don't like. Yeah. I don't have to listen to that stuff. It is a choice, especially now with the way everything works out. Like you get away with your whole life never having to watch television, never having to listen to the radio. You can curate your entire life to specifically just things you want to do. Right now, we don't even have cable. Right now, everything we watch is like something I heard was recommended to me off Netflix or I saw on the internet or whatever, whatever. And again, if you're, you're, your whole feed on your internet, um, on your internet, your whole feed on your social media is 100% people that you associate with that like certain things. So if you have somebody on your timeline who's pushing Cardi B WAP and that's not your thing, Feel free to silence that person, however you should, on that social media platform. And you could go ahead and mind your business. You want me to like a tweet or Instagram post, post Cardi B or Megan Stallion? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's, there's people who just do not know how to mind their business because they have the power and the domination to be able to come over here at a left and talk to people and tell people what to do with their mouths, what to do with their bodies, what to do with their creativity. Please take that elsewhere. Stay away from black women. Leave black women alone. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm over it. On a different note, but still with uh, Cardi B, um, I find it. So when was it? Like Was it like a couple? It was within this week. So our daughter... <laughs> was listening to something on YouTube kids and it sounded very familiar to us. And we were like, wait, what are you listening to? And it, and it was like, I don't think it was kids bop, but it was like kids bop adjacent. Yeah. The kids bop uh, version of uh, Cardi B's uh, Bodak yellow. Bodak yellow. <laughs> it was wild. So, <laughs> I didn't hear the lyrics. The lyrics were like, fine it was more that it was because i caught like the beat the beat yeah and i was like well hold up <laughs> i did kind of like a double take and i looked at her i was like what and then i looked at you and you were like you looked at me confused and i was like no bro that's bodak yellow <laughs> and then she didn't know what that was so she just starts laughing because she has you know a really good sense of um uh, how do you say? Just like she can pick up on context really well. So maybe she didn't know what Bodak Yellow was. And she didn't know um, exactly what we were reacting to. But she, but knew, she knew we were the very song. confused. Right. She knew the song triggered me to respond like that to her father. And she knew that it was already like we were like experiencing a level of discomfort that she thought was entertaining. So, of course, she, she just... She thought, starts singing whatever. I don't even yeah. know what the lyrics were, but it was, again, to the tune of Cardi B's yeah. Bodak Yellow. And she's like, I like this song. And I was like, uh-huh. And then I just kept it moving. I'm because, just like, I do too. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I know with her, 
Um, or just like with kids anyway, but like once you start to make something a big deal, then that's when they really sort of like take it to the next level. And since that night, she has not brought it up again. We haven't heard her singing it. Um, and it doesn't even matter. And, um, to be clear, the clean version would have been fine with me, but it was more about like me. I noticed in that moment that I what like, she could tell that I was uncomfortable and I was like, I need to address that in myself because, you know. What I don't want is eventually when we get to the point where she's listening to that music and she's, you know, enjoying it, I don't want her to read misogyny in me. So, you know, part of me was like, all right, let me just chill because I don't want her to think I'm judging the music in and of itself. It was more that, you know, my reaction was really about like a child being presented with Bodak Yellow. (laughs) Bomb song, though. Yeah, that song just went diamond. Um, Like, literally, and she's like, I think she, um, like broke another glass ceiling or whatever because there's apparently several oh, it's, it's the glass ceiling is actually like a fucking building and <laughs> it's just we keep having to break various ceilings it's not it's very confusing yeah um i'm starting to think there's not a real ceiling there it just keeps going yeah 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 um so she had um she's like the first female rapper i think to go uh diamond in the amount of time that bodak yellow has gone diamond it's been like what a couple couple like years. years maybe like i wouldn't say a couple it's a few years because i remember like it was a couple it was a few years ago yeah listen go go download some cardi b and megan the stallion it'll make you feel good <laughs> just oh my god and megan just make everything about megan first of all th- there's no reason why she's so pretty why is she so pretty no she is like beautiful yeah Yo, there be times where I just like, because, you know, obviously I Instagram stalk her. Um, and she's like, I don't Without know. Without makeup. Like, just for no, but she ain't, she has no right. Yeah. What gives you the right? She also posted a picture of her, like, I think she was like 16, 17. I was like, what the kind of 16, 17 year old is this? Jesus. Yeah. No, um, but, I mean, they're just people that like beauty wise yeah, are yeah. like destined for fame or whatever and i always say this i say this both about cardi and megan i've I've been known to say this like you know my whatever whenever they come up anyway is that like it's crazy because they're so beautiful and they're so talented and you know i always think about this had they been white like the trajectory of their careers how different that would have been um not that there you know there's nothing wrong with stripping we support sex work out here but if, you know, that that's that's a choice that they made that, like, was... Stripping's not sex work, so general, right? Yeah, yeah, it's considered. Oh. It's under the umbrella. Really? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, like, it's a stepping stone that they use career-wise to get to where they are, which was, you know, strategic and a good choice for them. It clearly worked out in their favor. But would they have had to do that? Had they been as beautiful as they are and white? That's a hard no. I mean, look at Dua Lipa. I come on. <laughs> okay, we have to stop talking about this. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I don't want to break no, it down, no, down another right, woman. Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'm gonna edit that out. <laughs> no disrespect to the uh, Dua Lipa fans. If I do end up keeping this in. Yeah. All right. All right. So. Minerva, uh, tell us um, a little bit more about who you who you're talking about today. About your paisa. Yeah, 
I don't use that word, but <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but this is uh, a Chinese Nicaraguan person who had quite a bit of a story, really inspiring story in Nicaragua, and her name is Adeline Sue uh, Bermudez. Um, I believe her mom was Nicaraguan and her dad was Chinese is okay. what I was able to tell from looking at that. Like it looked like her dad was like a businessman all around like Latin America, okay. like a, a Chinese businessman. And, you know, he settled in Nicaragua with his boo and uh, um, she had seven kids with him. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And um, our girl was one of them and they called her. Uh, she was from Hinotepe. Okay. And they called her La Chinita de Hinotepe, which is very on brand for Latinos. Can we just say, like, side note, like, I know there are several um, Asian communities in Latin America, and regardless of what part of Asia you are from, you're going to be referred to as Chino. That's so... But that's, that's unfortunate. Us. Yeah. That's we're work working we on it do. in that we're not collectively, but very. Um, there are small groups of us that are. Yeah. But th- in this case, she is a, a Chinese woman. In this case, she is. A yeah. Chinese descendant. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I think in some cases there are like, so I know, like, because it always makes me laugh. Like, my mom used to say when I was a kid, you know, esa gente sabe más que los chinos de Bonao. And, <laughs> o esa persona sabe más que los chinos de Bonao. Are there uh, Chinese people in Bonao? So, right. So, my okay. whole life, I laughed this off. Okay. Like, you know, very, like, this is classic Dominican nonsense, right? Like, Dominican Dr. Seussisms. Yeah. I don't know. Like For, for those of you who don't know, Bonao is a town in it's a province, Dominican, in Dominican the Dominican Republic. Republic. And it's, yeah. a, it's a province next to my province. So, okay. I know it well. Okay. Um, and I'm just kind of, like, I don't know. You know, I'm just like, what she talking about? This lady crazy. So, um, turns out years later, I find that we actually get into a conversation about it. And my mom confirms that there are actually, like, I, I don't, I want to be clear, I don't have any confirmation of this. And that my mother is a very on brand with the Dominican hyperbole. So, you know, do what you will with this information. But um, she said, you know, that there was actually, like, a Chinese family, um, or several families, unclear, that, um, you know, settled in Bonao. And, you know, that I, it looks like they kind of, like, they're like, considered wise because that's the, you know, kind of, like, um, that's the a- analogy that my mom kept making. But it sounds like, you know, they probably did a lot of the acupuncture or whatever, you know, Chinese medicinal stuff that they do that's so amazing and it's popular because it works. So, yeah, that's, like, where I think where my mom got it from. In any case, um, I think that's, like, I used to laugh it off because it used to, it, it is, like, in that genre of, like, Latinos just kind of, like, doing these weird groupings yeah. of whatever nonsense. All and then you're not sure. <laughs> right. Or, like, you know, the, people say, like, oh, you know, so, nosotros somos chino. And they'll say, like, we have some Chinese ancestry or whatever. And, like, I have, I have literally never believed that. Um, but so, so there, you know, there's stuff like that, like that happens with Latinos a lot. So, um, you know, uh, I just thought this was interesting in the sense that, you know, here we, here we go. Here's an example for all of us, all of us out there that have a difficult time understanding that there are Asian Latinos because Latino, you guessed it, 
is not a race. Yeah. Okay, we digress. We digress. More, more okay. on, um, on La Chinita de So, she um, is uh, basically a real um, thoughtful, caring, sensitive person. She's always sort of seen as a leader um, in her uh, in her family and in the community. Um, she was raised Christian, had a Christian religious upbringing, uh, as, as the rest of her siblings did as well. From an early age, she also showed great artistic passion, as well as the social sensitivity um, about the reality that was surrounding her. One thing that's really... Um, interesting to bring up about her is um that she one of the things that i guess that she's really sort of famous for is her talent with singing um and um she was a musician and she was a poet so she she was a writer she was um she could sing she could play the piano uh, she was like really creatively really skilled uh she was born in July of 1955 and uh, she was born in Hinotepe and had lived there her whole life. Um, one time, while she was helping her sister with a homework task, she actually wrote a song, which I think is just like such a beautiful like um, consequence of being creative, where you're just like, I'm gonna do something that has nothing to do with anything, and now it's a song. <laughs> so. Um, she had really sort of had um, had like a connection with what was going on in the community and what was going on around her. Um, it's understood that she did have a level of privilege. You know, as we know, her father was a businessman and he had been known to have business in Colombia and other countries. And she was educated, did have access to college, was um, sort of like, I guess, in her first semester of college um, when she passed away, which we'll talk about in a second. And um, so, you know, she's probably considered around middle class. And but she was like very sort of keenly aware of the poverty around her and the inequity in the country during um the in 1960s 1970s which mm -hmm. we're going to get into very very little bit because i know at some point you want to get into this deeply who knows um <laughs> you know if you ever get to it i want to make sure the door's there um or the window i've opened the window okay so she the song that she wrote for her sister's homework um was inspired by what she'd been seeing in the streets and around her and i'm gonna read some of the lyrics to you in spanish and then i'll read them in english so she says, Hoy quiero cantarte, María Rural, oh madre del campo, madre sin igual. Hoy quiero cantar tus vástigos pobres, tus despojos tristes, dolor maternal. Today I want to sing to you, rural Mary, oh mother of the country, mother without equal. Today I want to sing your poor offspring, your sad remains, maternal pain. And, um... You know, it was it just really showed like her one her creativity, her beautiful ability to write, but also her empathy, her real understanding of what people were going through because that certainly wasn't her experience. And she was probably like sixteen when she wrote this. Um, so for her to have that connection with people and with the struggle is really interesting and beautiful. 
So, um, many of her songs actually did discuss the conditions that poor people have to live with in Nicaragua, and she was uniquely aware of what women were going through. And a lot of her activism really um, spoke to the plight of the woman in Nicaragua and with the, you know, the poor people. So I'm going to cut to um, 1972, and Nicaragua has a severe earthquake that year, and there was a great loss for many refugees migrated from Managua and other places in the country. Shout out to Managua, that's where Fredo's family's from. And the uh, city of Hinotempe was one of the destinations where sort of refugees um, kind of like migrated from. Um, and that was kind of a monumental moment for her because she was able to really see how badly the earthquake affected people, but also how dis- pr- disappropriately it affected poor people. Because now these people have nothing and they're, they're coming to these places and they have nothing with them, just like the clothes on their back and trying to figure out how they're going to move forward. Um, so it, it did strengthen her social commitment. Her and other comrades in her Christian organizations organized a shelter for the refugees, received them with coats and food to appease their situation. And they also helped facilitate literacy classes in rural areas. So, you know, in her interaction with these people and really kind of getting into it, really woke her up to the injustices and um, inequity going around um, on a really deeper level. Her mom reflected that when she was about 16 years old, she would question to her, why are there people in jail? Why are people in jail for so long? I'm going to get into the government situation in a second so we can give a little context to... um, the injustices of um, the the criminal justice system, if we can even call it that. And, you know, um, she'd read the newspaper and her mother, um, you know, would have to, you know, have conversations with her about the information that was in them about murders and rapes of the campesinos and campesinas and um, the most vulnerable people and how, this was all being orchestrated um, or executed by the government. So we're going to cut to a little bit of the background of the social situation um, in Nicaragua at this time. Uh, As we kind of established a little bit, if you listen to the Rigoberta Menchu episode, uh, we talked a little bit about how the U.S. was really... Um, sort of in the middle of the 20th century and around this time, similar similar time frame to Guatemala, was really um, ingraining themselves in Latin American lands. They were basically um, sowing the seed. And this I found this blog that talked about it and the way that they talked about it. It's in Spanish, so I translated it um, in English for you guys, but it was a really sort of beautiful way to put such a horrible, horrible um, um, action. But the U.S. imperialism basically sowed the seeds of exploitation, extravitism, and um, repression. Um, And basically, 
It was, you know, using sort of a national security doctrine as a tool to achieve their own tasks for, you know, their capitalist gain, right? Um, we know that um, a large number of U.S. fruit companies were concentrated in Nicaragua and most of the fields were um, destined to the production of bananas, cotton, sugar, and exported um, also, you know, uh, uh, were exported to the United States. So there are, you know, a history of abuses by the United States towards Nicaraguan people. Um, it contributed to the assassination of Augusto Sandino, who was a peasant seeking the liberation of Nicaragua. Um, and it was really a transfer of power to the future dictator, or was basically a dictator during the time that Adeline was really sort of experiencing these injustices or observing these injustices. Um, uh, Anastasio Somoza, whose uh, family succeeded him in office. So in 1961, opponents of Somoza founded the Sandinista National Liberation Front, which is, um, the acronym is FSLN in Spanish, in honor of Augusto Sandino who, you know, as I mentioned earlier, was killed. Um, they were in charge of confronting the Samosist National Guard and formed guerrilla groups in the rural areas where poor and unemployed peasants were concentrated. Which again, you know, when we say these guerrilla groups go into the mountains, um, we know that the guerrilla warfare, uh, and we can do like, an, actually we should probably do a whole episode on how like guerrilla warfare like was created in Latin America. And that's like what it's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, but... You know, in addition to it going into the mountains for strategy reasons, uh, like in, in, in the act of war, it also um, really kind of gets to the communities that have the most issues with the government that are being uh, most oppressed by the government. So it also serves as a great recruitment strategy. Um, so as she's seeing a lot of this stuff going on, she, you know, she's very moved by it and she's done as much as she can do that. She feels that she can do from where she is at, um, you know, these social services that she's putting in all these connections that she's making. She, um, basically decides at this point that she's going to join the guerrilla, um, army and before she left to the mountains... Uh, As a Sandinista, so she joined the she's Sandinistas. She's joining the Sandinistas, the FSLN. Okay. Um, obviously, this is an easy situation. At this point, she is just 18 years old, and she's um, got to figure out how she's going to convey this information. So she tells a friend that um, she's going to get sent to China. This is like her best friend. She's, like, super aware that that's false. Like, why would your family send you to China? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And, uh, but she knew that basically it looks like she was setting the groundwork up so that she could, the framework up so she can go to the mountains and not necessarily have to deal, and like, not deal with people being worried about where she was. Uh, she one day tells her mom that she's going to take a test and she, in fact, does not go to this exam. She goes <laughs> yeah. to the mountains. She just goes join a guerrilla warfare. It's yeah. cool. It's like whatever. <laughs> so 
her siblings do what siblings do during this situation. Snitch. No. Oh. Cover for her. Ah. So they totally covered for her. Um, and they tell the mom that she is like, she went to like Colombia. Why? To go to school. Okay. Like a whole other country. Sure. I mean. And mom believed this. And like dad has business there. So I guess I'm, yeah, I, I watched a documentary on her and um, I was watching it and like feeling her siblings. Um, she had one sibling who, by the way, was named Marlon. And a niece. She had a sibling and a niece, um, and her mom were being were interviewed for this documentary, and it was a filmed and obviously it was a Nicaraguan like um, show. Mm-hmm. And and I will make sure I get that in the episode notes as well, so you guys have the link. So she told her um, family that she would go to Colombia, and you know that that's that, that's what the siblings told the mom, which of course did not add up, and there was a very interesting um, response from the mom that, you know, I, I detected there. It, it just, it was very clear that the mom knew everybody sort of knew, but no, it was like this unspoken thing and everybody was just hoping that she would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which unfortunately does not turn out to be the case. So um, before she left, she did um, leave, notes and poems and stuff behind. So I think that's also what we have to remember her by. And I think contributed to how well remembered she is and how she's seen as a real historical figure, because um, there's a lot of documentation about her beliefs and, um, you know, the liberation of Nicaragua and all that. So I think it was, um, it's really beautiful to, to also see that that exists So, uh, it is said that while she's up in the mountains during the night, um, she's in the settlement of El Saucese. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. Sorry if I mispronounced that. With her companions, everyone is in front of a stove. Uh, I guess it's like heat for heat purposes with uh, their rifles rested on the ground and, um, there's like memories and people like sort of sharing their war stories that, you know, this is the scene that they're setting up and that she's playing the medley of Maria Rural in her, with her guitar and sort of bringing comfort to everybody and reminding everybody like why they're there and what the, their common struggle is and what, what their goal is really. Um, so unfortunately, on August 1st, 1975, about a few weeks after her 18th birthday, um, the guerrilla settlement was exposed, so they knew where to find them. So the National Guard did exactly that. Heavy combat was fought by air and land. Adlen, uh helped her companions flee. Uh, until, unfortunately, she could not, um, and she was shot down. So um, one really upsetting um, thing I learned when I was watching the documentary was that her remains were claimed by the government. Um, So when originally it was, um, you know, her her family received the body, um, you know, at this point, the body's severely dis- decomposed. You know, you can't really tell who that is. Uh, but unfortunately, her mom just knew. 
this is mm. not my daughter's body. Okay. Um, and so unfortunately there's like an additional fight that has to continue um, after her death where her family has to push back on the government to get a hold of the, the right remains, uh, which is an incredibly, um, you know, sad process that the mom reflects on when she's being interviewed. And, you know, she respectfully holds on to the cadaver that she does have until she's um, able to reunite with her child. And it really isn't until the triumph of the revolution that they are actually um, able to get the correct body. So this is like years later. Yeah. And then she was able to give um, the body that she did have back so that that body can, you know, be, be reunited with their, their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she just reflects on that moment. It was a very emotional um, moment where she just talks about, like, just knowing when, when she got the, the casket and um, just putting her hand on her child's head. And it's just, could you just imagine just a cadaver? And, um, you know, just really reflecting in that moment of how, you know, she just knew. And as a mom, I got to tell you, I totally understand what she meant by that. Um, and, you know, uh, nobody should ever really have to go through that to, to say bye to their child that way. Um, one thing I wanted to share was at the letters that she did leave behind for her family. Um, there are quotes available from those pieces. And one of the letters says, the tenacious struggle of man towards perfection is true love. We are more authentic to the extent that we break down barriers and limitations Confronting with courage and optimism the vicissitudes that come our way. And you get to discover one day that you are capable of more than what is asked of us. And that we can achieve what for some is forbidden or impossible. And that is the story of Arlene Sue. She was wildly articulate for a 17, 18 year old. Right? <laughs> there was that word. Okay, let's just do this for a second. Vicissitudes. I had to look that up, everybody. I also had to tell Google how to tell me to pronounce that word because I have never heard that word before. Mm-hmm. And just so we're clear, it means a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think it, it's a, it's a, this is an this is an important story to tell. I mean, I've never heard of her. Um, again, you know, somebody who is lost in time. Um, luckily, her story still lives on in some form or fashion, right? Um, I think, you know, more than ever when we're talking about discrimination in the Asian communities or the Asian diasporas, or not just in the United States, but around the world, right? Because yeah. I think people tend to forget or when we have like an American mind frame where like, you know, the U S is the main context of it, or we have a centered that this, that kind of stuff only happens in the, the U S um, you know, people are othered in all, all over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States is not the only place where that gets immigrants. People typically immigrate to the nearest country to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, with the Asian community, there's still 
there's discrimination. There's the stereotypes. Um, even within that American context, there's the model minority, right? You're, mm-hmm. You know, there's like, oh, they're so smart. They, they're what your mother would say. Like, Ooh. they're so wise. They're hardworking. Um, so th- those things are still in place there of the model minority, but they're still very much othered. Um, in the context of like, again, we just refer to them as a monolith as like Chino. Mm-hmm. Everybody well, the Chino. Fact, yeah, the fact that she was considered La Chinita de Hinotope is, you know, Hinotepe, sorry. La Chinita de Hinotepe is very clear that, you know, she was other in those situations. Like, that's how we identify her, you know? Yeah, I'm assuming she went into the mountains and uh, to fight for this uh, war. And she was one of the very few right. <laughs> Chinese yeah. people, definitely Chinese women. Uh, just to be very clear, there was a lot of, like... And th- this could be its own thing. There were a lot of women in the Sandinista fight, so like the in the FSLN. war, yeah. Um, you know, in the against the Somoza regime, there was a there were a lot of women fighting, um, and and so it's not unlike um, movements in Cuba and elsewhere in Latin America where definitely the the rebellions in the mid century mid 20th century um really recruited a lot of women to be a part of these things um so the story of Arlene isn't unique in that that regard right a lot of a lot of young optimistic women took up arms um and a lot of them ended in a similar fashion uh but again what it is unique to Arlene is the fact that once she she's of Chinese descent, mm-hmm. to she was somebody who didn't have to pick up the fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She she could have just continued and gone off to college and got her degree and continued to live a, a comfortable life. I, I don't think she was rich by no, any stretch no. of the imagine, but she was comfortable. Um, but she saw the injustice that was going on, and that's what really makes a true leader and make a makes a true. You know, an icon or somebody who you could look up to, right? Because it's it's in the in those moments where, what do we do when it's something wrong is happening that's not affecting us? Yeah. Right. Because it's very easy for us to turn around, uh, look the other way when it's not affecting us. Yeah. But it's in those moments where, like, what do you do when other people are being oppressed? She stood up. She and her family, again, to their credit. Understood that. Yeah. I'm not so sure what her father... Because it didn't seem like her father <laughs> knew what was happening. I, I mean, I, I, it's it sounded like he was, like, away doing business. Okay. So they kind of used that to their advantage. Um, but I'm not sure how much... Um, you know, He wasn't in the documentary, and I didn't get a lot of information on him. So he may or may not have been in the picture. Some He was in the picture. It's just what his involvement was during this time when she had gone away. Yeah. Um, that's unclear. But he was, you know, um, the matriarch was kind of holding the family down while the father kind of handled the business. As, side it, of as is typical, usually. Um, 
so yeah so in that regard like the family it was a it was a known secret right it wasn't like girl you weren't fooling anybody like you're not in Colombia, you're not in china mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah she done traveling all right she did carmen san diego yeah, and everybody like, um all right cool yeah but i mean i think it was more of a let them down easy kind of yeah, yeah, yeah hey let's just tell everybody this story so everybody knows i'm okay because let's save everybody the conversation of no don't go to the mountains because i'm going to the mountains so here you go why don't we just say say it in code so nobody has to go do this back and forth? Because <laughs> nobody else, nobody else uh, is really gonna just flat out say it. you're lying, right? Right? Because <laughs> it's all plausible, right? Because I mean, well, you are smart. All right, I guess they're sending you to China. I don't know why. Yeah. Okay, I guess you're going to school in Colombia. You use words like vicissitudes, yeah. So you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's that said in Spanish? Um, it's no, it very me. similar. Okay. It's very similar. And I didn't know it in Spanish either. And I was like, girl, what word is this? Um, <laughs> so I translated it and it, it was helpful. Um, <laughs> that much. It's still like, okay. No, visiritudes. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, okay. Um, so again, this is somebody who, uh, as um, Minerva pointed out, uh, my family is from... Nicaragua, uh, this is somebody that we definitely don't know about, or at least ha- I haven't been talked about, you know, to about. Um, it, that whole time period, so my my parent, my family does talk about the big earthquake of 72. Um, and they do talk about the war, like that ongoing war, because like eventually the war came from, like got out of the mountains and into the cities right um you know i have older cousins who were there during the time and like one of them got shot through the leg a crossfire you know so there's like stuff going on there that eventually it did bleed into everyday life for uh the majority of nicaraguans um and hence why my family (laughs) eventually fled you know because even though, even the, when the Sandinistas won, it still wasn't like pleasant. You know, you're talking about like a transfer of power that wasn't peaceful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my my family fled um, in the late seventies, early eighties. Now they're and that's how they most of them got here. Yeah. Um. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I thought you would enjoy this. I told you you were going to like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope, though, that we can do the Sandinistas uh, in some more detail. I think that um, there's, a, there's a lot to that story, uh, and I kept a lot of detail. Well, you kept out. it really brief. I kept it super brief, because <laughs> I was like, all right, I don't want to go too much into it. I want to, because I want to do a whole, like, or I want, you know, to have the opportunity to do a I whole I mean, it might, that thing. might, again, like, very much of a, a lot of our stories, it, there's so much detail um and a lot of it has to a lot of it starts with u.s uh intervention or u.s meddling backing financing training uh because uh samosa anastasia samosa um the the first because it was more than one Mm -hmm. um anastasia samosa he was trained by the u.s government uh so you know when you say because then you mentioned National Guard, and I don't want people to get confused. 
We're talking US about National it's not the U.S. Guard. National Guard. It's talking about the Nicaraguan National Guard that at the time was led by Somoza before he became president. Then eventually became president. Uh-huh. So that's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening. Ha home. See you soon. Follow us on social media. You can follow our podcast at AFACPod. That's at A-F-A-A-K pod. Or follow our hosts, Minerva at It's Minerva Angel and at Fredo underscore B on Twitter. <laughs>